2: This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom has ordered an investigation into why the state's electrical grid wasn't ready for a heat wave related surge in power demand over the weekend.
3: And let me just make this crystal clear. Uh, We failed to predict and plan these shortages and that's simply unacceptable.
2: Newsom signed an emergency proclamation to free up backup energy resources, and he asked state residents to conserve their power use this week between 3 and 10 p.m. The governor noted that renewable energy resources can be less reliable and predictable than fossil fuel sources and said the state needed to find out how to build a more reliable grid as the state increases its reliance on renewable energy. Well, yesterday we all braced ourselves for more power outages, but thanks in part to Californians conserving energy, the state didn't end up calling for blackouts. The nonprofit that makes the call is the California Independent System Operator. Severin Borenstein is a member of the ISO Board of Governors and he's a professor at UC Berkeley. He joins us now. Good morning.
3: Thanks for having me on.
2: I think what a lot of Californians want to know right now is quite simply, why is this happening? Can you explain it for us in layman's terms, if you will?
3: Sure. Um, So the California ISO is the entity that pulls together all the electricity that the various utilities have bought and schedules it so it can flow over the grid and get to the customers. And what's happened is the utilities have not bought enough electricity, uh, to meet the very high demands we are now seeing. And at the same time, uh, we're seeing some real problems on the supply side. First of all, uh, we're just, we usually buy a lot of power from other states, but the rest of the West is also having a major heat wave, and so uh, they don't have much extra electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have gradually over the last decade transitioned from using a lot of natural gas-fired power plants using more solar and wind, and we've been shutting down those gas-fired power plants. And solar and wind are great, they're very low cost these days, and they are, they're very green, but they're also intermittent, and that's creating real problems.
2: Obviously, a lot of Californians are concerned, pretty upset in some cases, because there wasn't a whole lot of warning. That this was coming. Um, What's been your take on how all of this is being communicated from the various parties, whether it's the ISO, you sit on their board, um, or the CPUC, which is the state utility regulator, or other parties, even the governor's office? Are those parties doing their jobs when it comes to letting Californians know, giving them the heads up?
3: Well, I think in the real time event, The parties that have to do this are the California ISO and the utilities. And the California ISO definitely dropped the ball on this on Friday. They did not give enough warning to the utilities that they were going to need them to reduce demand. Uh, And as a result, the utilities did not give enough warning to the customers. So on Friday, it happened sort of suddenly. On Saturday, they did a better job and they gave more warning. And then yesterday, it looked pretty certain like we weren't going to be able to supply all the demand and the california iso was giving warning from early in the day and then they managed to buy some extra electricity and the pleas for conservation seemed to have helped and we barely scraped by yesterday Mm. now today again we're going to have a hot day it looks like and uh, there it's not clear whether we're going to scrape by the iso doesn't want to err on the side of Sending warnings every day, but on the other hand, it also has to uh, give people a heads up that today might be a day when we're going to see these problems. So they are trying to balance that, and I think they are still learning as they go. Mm -hmm. The other communication problem is there seems to have been some disconnect between what the ISO has been saying and some of the utilities have been saying about how certain they were there's going to be a power cut and I think we got to work on that communication as well.
2: All right, Professor Borenstein, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Severin Borenstein, professor at UC Berkeley and a member of Cal ISO's Board of Governors.
3: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Well,
2: California has already sued the Trump administration more than 95 times, and the state's attorney general is looking to add one more suit to the list, this time over the U.S. Post Office. KQED's Katie Orr has that story.
0: California Attorney General Javier Becerra is working with several other states to challenge what he's calling President Donald Trump's illegal actions regarding the post office. So far, his office hasn't offered any specifics. The institution has seen several changes that have resulted in mail delays since a new postmaster general, a Trump donor, took over in June. The president has said the post office needs additional money to handle an expected increase in vote-by-mail ballots this year, but Trump has also said he opposes giving it any additional money. Some lawmakers have said the situation could negatively affect the coming presidential election. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
2: A reminder that despite the name, mail-in ballots can be returned in other ways, too.
4: In the state of California, there are three ways to return a vote-by-mail ballot.
2: That's Carol Moon Goldberg, president of the League of Women Voters in California, who says you can also deliver them yourself.
1: Drop it off at designated drop boxes. They can also be dropped off at voting sites, in-person voting sites.
2: If you do decide to return your ballot by mail, Moon says don't wait until the last minute. And Goldberg also reminds Californians to check that their voter registration is current and accurate as soon as possible. The rate of students at universities who likely have depression is double what it was a year ago. That's according to a survey released today from UC Berkeley and other institutions. KQED's Laura Clivens has more. Roughly a third of
0: undergraduate and graduate students screened positive for major depressive disorder, and nearly 40 percent screened positive for generalized anxiety disorder. Both rates are a significant jump from before the pandemic. Igor Cherikov is a researcher at the Center for Studies in Higher Education at UC Berkeley, the group that led the survey.
3: This is unprecedented in our data. We have never seen such an increase first, and we have never seen such high level of anxiety and depression among students.
0: More than 45,000 students at a handful of public research universities completed surveys from May through July of this year. The results showed both depression and anxiety were more pronounced in students who are low income, people of color, women, transgender, queer, and caregivers. Rates of depression and anxiety were higher for students who had trouble adapting to remote learning.
3: There will be a growing tide of student requests for mental health services. So universities should plan to allocate more resources to address this.
0: Survey authors recommend universities hire more counseling staff, create more appointment times and support groups. They can also implement low-cost measures like embedding mental health resources in regular classes. Screening positively and actually having these mental health disorders are two different things, another doctor not part of the study says. Still, it's hard to argue against more mental health services, particularly evidence-based ones. For the California Report, I'm Laura Clivens.
2: In the Central Valley, more than half of the men locked up at a privately run detention center in Bakersfield have been confirmed with COVID-19. That's after a federal judge ordered U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to test all detainees at the facility. KQED's Farida Javala-Romero has more. 56 detainees held at the Mesa Verde Ice Processing Center have tested positive for COVID-19. Early last week, ICE reported just 10 positive cases. U.S. District Judge Vince Chabria says the agency could have avoided the rapidly growing outbreak at the facility. ICE says most of those infected were segregated in a dorm, and at least one man was hospitalized. Last week, Chabria also directed ICE and the GEO Group, which owns and operates Mesa Verde, to regularly test all staffers. Detainees sued in April to force ICE to take steps to prevent an outbreak. Since then, about 200 people have been released on bail or parole. 106 remain detained at Mesa Verde. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala-Romero. Local officials in Los Angeles are releasing more relief money for renters struggling because of the pandemic. Starting this week, the county is launching a $100 million emergency rental assistance program for those tenants. KCRW's Anna Scott has more on how to apply. To qualify, you have to live in LA County,
0: but not in the City of Los Angeles. The city already launched its own similar program. You also need to fall below certain income thresholds. This program is for low and very low income renters. And you have to show that you're struggling to pay rent specifically because of COVID-19. The amount of assistance will depend on how much you earn, but could go as high as $10,000 for the neediest cases. That money will go to your landlord to cover your rent. You do not have to provide any citizenship documentation, and neither does your landlord. For the California Report, I'm Anna Scott in Los
2: Angeles. A new analysis from the Associated Press and Kaiser Health News shows what states, territories, counties, cities and tribal governments are doing with the money they got from the $150 billion coronavirus relief fund. How quickly they spent that money and what they spent it on varied widely throughout California. San Mateo County spent nearly three quarters of the funding it got on public health expenses, while in Orange County that number was closer to just 5%. The California Report's Nina Sparling takes a closer look at how the money got spent in Sacramento.
4: Sacramento County moved quickly when it came to using federal relief dollars. By the end of June, it had allocated the vast majority of funding it received. Britt Ferguson is the chief fiscal officer for Sacramento County.
3: We really quickly decided to use that money to offset the salary and benefit costs of existing safety and health employees.
4: The county spent the vast majority of the funding to cover payroll for county employees in public health and public safety. Most of the money went to cover those costs in the sheriff's and probation offices. Less than 1% of what the county received went to fund public health needs, like testing and contact tracing. Ferguson sees this decision as a way to get the most out of the funds, to meet the growing public health crisis, but also...
3: Deal with what we saw as a looming, really massive reduction in our revenues...
4: So Sacramento decided to use that money to pay for things that would have otherwise come out of the general fund. That's according to Bruce Wagstaff, Sacramento's deputy county executive.
3: It's really targeted at what we have to do to avoid these very dramatic cuts in critical services that would be devastating to our community if we had to make.
4: These dollars came from the CARES Act funding, but states and localities have been drawing on numerous other sources to weather the storm, too. For the California report, I'm Nina Sparling.
2: And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, August 18th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. It's going to be hot for a lot of us today, so remember the critical time to conserve is from 3 to 10 p.m. I'm Lily Dramali. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Support for the California Report comes from the California Earthquake Authority urging Californians to prepare to survive and recover from the next damaging earthquake. Learn more at earthquakeauthority.com. The California Health Care Foundation, acknowledging the vital work of local public health departments to keep Californians safe during the pandemic. On the web at chcf.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners –